The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. The last few days have made for interesting news cycles about the war in Ukraine and what's happening in Russia. You know, regardless of what happened in the last 24 hours, I'm always brought back to the images of what it looks like for a country that's been at war for all these many months. Homes that are destroyed, people that are hurt, lives that are lost. Can you imagine living in a war zone like that? That's what was happening to the people of Israel when we find them for today. For seven years, the Midianites would come and raid Israel territory. They would take their livestock. They would kill people. They would destroy their crops or steal their food stores for seven long years. This all happened during the time after God brought his people up out of Egypt, out of slavery, to the Promised Land. But before, Israel had kings like Saul and David and Solomon. And in this time of seven years of war, we meet a man named Gideon, and he's a man who's completely in the wrong place. Because, first of all, he's a warrior, but when we find him, he's not on a battlefield swinging a sword. We find him standing in a wine press with a shovel in his hand trying to thresh grain. And this made absolutely no sense at all. Because, you see, if you're going to thresh grain, normally you'd have a threshing floor that would be on a, a high, open place where there was lots of wind. Because that's what you needed for threshing. Right? Threshing is when you'd want to take the husk off the kernel of, of grain. And so what you'd do is you'd rough up the kernels, and then you'd go to this high, open area. You'd take a shovel full of grain, throw it in the air, and the wind would blow the light chaff away and the heavier grain kernels would fall to the ground. That's why you always wanted to do this in an open, airy place. But here he was trying to thresh wheat in a wine press. Now, a wine press is the exact opposite of a threshing floor. A wine press is like a stone area that you chisel out a bowl, a, a basin in, so you can put the grapes in and stomp on them, and it'll keep all the juice there. Threshing... Wheat in a wine press makes no sense at all. It's, it's too low, it's too damp, it's too small. What in the world was he doing here? This man so out of place, that instead of standing as a warrior, he was holding a shovel trying to thresh, wine, thresh grain in a wine press. Well, the answer was fear. Seven years of war will do that to you. Midian had so oppressed Israel that the Bible says that some people had taken to living in caves. Anything to try to keep them from coming and taking the last little bit that you have. So much so that you'll even find a warrior threshing grain in a wine press. That's where he was that day because he was afraid they were going to come and find it and take what little he had left. We all have our days in the wine press don't we? The days uh, when we're too afraid of our problems to try to meet them head on. Those are the days in the wine press. When our problem seems too big and too scary for us to do anything about, so instead 
We just kind of live with it in fear and try to figure out a way to live with it rather than trying to solve it until eventually you find out that you're not just living with it. It's come to define you. That's when you know you're in the wine press. When you're not trying to solve the problem, when the problem is now defining you. That's where Gideon was, right? Didn't think he had any choice because the problem of Midian was too big and too awful. So he took his grain down into a little stone basin and tried to make the best of it. Of course, God enters the picture, right? And here's what happens. Whenever God's people have a problem that's too big for them, God's solution is to send his son, to send his son into this world to solve their problem for them. So the son of God shows up at the place where Gideon needed him most. He showed up in the wine press, and he says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were a warrior standing with a shovel in a wine press and someone came up and said, oh, mighty warrior, I might be tempted to think they were being sarcastic, right? Maybe a little judgy, giving me a little attitude. Oh, mighty warrior, hiding in the wine press. Remember, when God calls us, it's a call that's not based on our past. It's not a call that's based on our present. It's a call purely about what God will make of us. So to this man threshing in a wine press in fear, he said, mighty warrior. Of course, Gideon, he actually took issue with the first half of God's sentence. The Lord is with you. And when Gideon replies to the Son of God, he's like, really? The Lord is with us. Well, then, Lord, why is this happening if the Lord is with us? I mean, if this is the God who brought us up out of Egypt, I mean, God, you brought a superpower, Egypt, to its knees, and now you're letting us get kicked around by the Midianites? If the Lord was with us, why would these things be happening to us? It seems like the Lord is far from us. You know, when you're in the wine press, it's easy to worry and to fret and to think that God is far distant, that God's asleep at the switch, he's not paying attention, or he doesn't care. I'll tell you what, I think one thing that's really instructive is when we get to watch Gideon and the Son of God have this conversation, it's really interesting how God reacts to Gideon going, Lord, where are the miracles? Why is our life like this? God doesn't get angry. God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't, you know, zap him with a lightning bolt like he could have. Here's the point for us to learn. God is not afraid of our questions. Not at all. If we come to God in faith and we say, Lord, I don't understand why this is happening in my life. God's not angry about that. That's an important thing for us to know. We can bring those questions to him. I mean, specifically because we know he we know and believe that he's there to answer, right? But the second important thing about this dialogue is God wasn't angry that Gideon asked him the question, but God didn't actually answer him, right? He didn't tell him why this was happening. Gideon says, why is this happening? Lord, God doesn't answer. 
Here's the thing. This is a foundational fact about our Christian faith is that God doesn't always tell us why bad things happen to good people. On this side of heaven, you might never know why some sorrow or suffering came into your life. God doesn't promise to answer us that question. But he does give us a different promise. He said to Gideon, get out of the wine press. Am I not with you? God might not promise to tell you why hard things have happened in your life. But whatever it is that have made you cower in a wine press and think the problems are bigger than, than can be solved, God said, I might not tell you why, but I'll tell you what, you will never go through those things alone. Am I not with you? God says, you don't have to bear those things on your own. God was going to use Gideon and turn him into the thing he called him in the wine press, mighty warrior. So he told him, get out of the wine press, but then... Then God told Gideon he had some house cleaning to do. He said, get rid of your idols. Turns out, Gideon and his family, they worshipped the true God. They also worshipped the false god named Baal. His family had even built a, an altar to Baal on a high spot above the village where they lived. And God told Gideon that following my path means getting rid of the idols that are in your life. Have you ever known the exact right thing to do, the moral thing, the correct thing? You know what to do. You know what it is, but you also know that the repercussions of that act are going to be big. You ever had one of those? Gideon knew what was going to happen if he did the right thing. If he obeyed God and tore down that idol, he knew what was going to happen. And you know what? He was right. When he tore down that altar, the next day the villagers, they wanted to kill him. No doubt his family felt betrayed. But God said when it comes to following him, there's no room for idols. No room. God wants to be the biggest thing in your life. Now, I don't think many of us are tempted to go home and bow down to a uh, carved statue of Baal or something like that. But remember, an idol for us is anything that we, that we put our trust in or put our hope in or put our wants in that's different than our Heavenly Father. Right? So those things that we value more highly than walking in obedience to our Father, that's, that's an idol. Maybe you're not bowing down to a, a statue carved out of wood, but maybe, maybe the temptations for idols in our life are built out of bricks or out of fiberglass or pixels. Or maybe the idol in our life is comprised of how many digits there are to the left of the decimal point on your retirement sheet. Or maybe the idol in your life is just the fact that you think your wants, your feelings, are more important than anyone around you. Our idols are anything that pull our trust away from our Heavenly Father, anything that, that we're willing to obey rather than obeying Him. And what God says is not just get out of the wine press, but get rid of the idols in your life. There's just no room for them. Now Gideon knew that there were going to be big ramifications to him doing the right thing, to tearing down that altar. But you know, God didn't just tell him Tear it down because it's the right, the moral thing to do. 
God also offered him something infinitely better. Right? He said, tear down the altar to the false god and build an altar to me, the God of the covenant. Okay, and what that means, God's reminding him. This altar was meant to remind him that God is the God of the covenant, the God of the great agreement that he made with mankind. And here's the great agreement. Mankind is broken and sinful and could never be the people God asked them to be. And so God sent his son to be what we could not, to live in our place, to gather up all of the sins that drive us into the wine press and take them to the cross where he would pay for every single one. So that through Jesus' death and resurrection, your relationship with your heavenly father is restored, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is and what he did. That's the covenant, that God would forgive your wickedness and remember our sins no more, right? God didn't tell him, just tear down, get rid of the idols because it's morally correct and it's it's the thing you should do. He offered him something infinitely better. Don't worship an empty false god. Here's an invitation to a relationship with your heavenly father, the God of the covenant. Now think about that in our lives. Whatever those idols are that you and I go home to and bow down to, they are not paying you off the way that you sometimes act like they are. Right? Whatever it is that we're giving up to, giving our attention and love and desire to other than what God would want us to, it's all a tawdry substitute for what God intends for his children. God says, not just because it's right, Here's something better. You can have a relationship with me that's completely based on mercy and grace and love. When we have that, God transforms us from the people we were to the people he calls us to be. Gideon, he called mighty warrior. And he took him out of that wine press. He got rid of the idols in his life, and then God poured out his spirit on Gideon and made him exactly what he promised, this mighty warrior. And in Judges chapter 7, you see it happening. Gideon goes around to the villages and the areas of the tribes, and he raises an army, an army of 32,000 fighting men, ready to take it to the Midianites, to defend the homeland, to take care of their families. And the man you see in Judges chapter 7 is so much different than the man you see in Judges chapter 6. No more hiding in a wine press. No more threshing grain in the wrong place. No, here's the mighty warrior at the head of a 32,000 strong army ready for battle. I wonder what Gideon thought when he looked out at that fighting force. Did he feel pride? I'm sure. Did he feel blessed? Undoubtedly. Gideon was ready to go. God, however, had a couple more preparations he needed to make. This is what he said to Gideon. You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. See, God didn't want Gideon or anyone else thinking that the victory that was coming up had anything to do with the size of Gideon's army. God wanted to make sure everybody knew that this victory that was going to come up was going to only be because God was bigger than any problem his people might have. That God was going to be strong when his people were weak. So God said to Gideon, we got to make this army of yours a little smaller. So here's what you do, Gideon. Go tell everyone who's afraid of the battle to go home. Gideon did. And uh, 
22,000 men walked away. Two-thirds of his army up and left. I can't imagine what Gideon was thinking and feeling then, especially when God said, ah, yeah, I'm not finished yet. He said, there are still too many men. I'm going to thin your army a little more. He said, take them down to the spring, let them drink, I'll sort it out for you. Divide the ones out who drink right from the spring between the ones who lift up water and lap it from their hands. I'll make the choice. Well, as Gideon watched, he could tell right away that there was going to be an unfair division here. Very few of the soldiers were lifting up the water to their mouth. And of course, that's the group God picked. He said, these men, these 300, there's your army. So what do you do when God knocks a couple of zeros off the armies in your life? Right? From 32,000, God knocks off two zeros to about 300 men. What do you do? I mean, there's just no way this is going to work, right? Brothers and sisters, there's going to be a day in your life when God knocks a couple of zeros off of your armies. There's going to be a day when God thins your fighting force. You know, it, uh, the thing is, it might be one of those days where the strengths that you always relied on or the truths that you always counted on or the people you always planned on, they're not there. Maybe on a day you needed the most. And it feels like instead of an army of 32,000, God has knocked a couple of zeros off and you're standing there with 300 and saying, there's just no way. This can't possibly work. Uh, maybe, maybe you get sick and you just don't seem to get better. Or maybe your budget just seems impossible. Maybe your family feels like it's, it's crumbling around you and the strengths and the truths and the people you counted on, they're just, they're just not there. Here's the thing. When God thins your army... Don't run back to the wine press. Am I not with you, God said? When he does this to Gideon, when he does this to you and me, sometimes he puts us in a situation that's so dire that the only thing we can do is trust in him. Said, okay, Lord, you put me here. You're going to have to get me out of it. Sometimes... God needs to make us so weak so that he can be the biggest thing in our life. And here's the one thing God wants more than anything, to be the biggest thing in your life. When God thins your armies, don't run back to the wine press. Trust in the God who said he's bigger than any problem you have, the God who says he's stronger than any enemy you'll face, the God who has promised to be the God of the covenant with you. And if he's willing to love you like that, he is certainly willing to love you when your armies seem thin. Right? God, took Gabe, or God took Gideon and put him in a place where he had to trust that God was going to do everything. Right? But then God says something kind of interesting to Gideon. He tells him to get ready for battle. 
Right, this man whom God had thinned his armies by knocking off a couple of zeros, he tells him to get ready for battle. It's interesting how Gideon responded to that. He said, okay, this is what God's given me, so let's work it, right? He said, I only have 300 men because the Lord thinned my army, so here's what we're going to do. Every man's going to take a trumpet and a torch and a jar. We're going to go at night, surround the Midian camp, and at the same time, we're going to break the jars and blow the trumpets and make those Midianites think that we have an army with two more zeros on it. He trusted completely in God, and then he worked with all of his might. That's another really interesting point of the life of faith that God calls us to. To trust as if everything is on God, and to work as if everything's on us. Right? God, God is bigger than any problem or any enemy you might have. But at the same point, you know, while yes, God promises to feed your family, no, we shouldn't go outside and look up and wait for loaves to drop out of the sky, right? We should get a job. We should work that job. Yes, God has promised to take care of your family, but you are the ones, excuse me, you are the ones that God intends to use to do it. We trust that it's all on God, and we work like it's all on us. Don't sit around and complain about your marriage. Light the torches and blow the trumpets. Read the books. Put in the work. Start treating your spouse the way Jesus would treat your spouse, and you might be surprised what problems go away. Don't be the person who just complains about society or about work, be the person who's a catalyst for changing it. Because you, of all people, know the hope to which we've been called. You are meant to be like a light in a dark room, that people who see you see the hope we have in Jesus. God is bigger than any problem we might have. We're going to trust that he can take care of it all, but we're going to work to be the, the people that he calls us to be. He took this man, Gideon, from a shovel and a pile of grain, and he called him Mighty Warrior. He told him to get out of the wine press and get rid of the idols and get ready for battle. And then God worked in Gideon exactly what he intended. God brought a great victory to Israel that day. A great victory meant to show God's people then and God's people today that no matter what enemy we face, no matter what problems there are in our life, no matter how thin our armies might seem, there is nothing bigger in this life than our God. And the more weak we are, the more room that leaves for God to be strong. What God wants most is to be the biggest thing in your life. So when you're faced with those problems that you're not sure how to fix, nah, don't go back to the wine press. Revel in your weakness. Because when we are weak, he's strong. God grant it. Amen.